Good, well we're um, going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 on page 1157 of the Bibles if you want to be turning it up, if you want to follow along. Um, and this is our last session on 1 Corinthians. We've been with the Corinthian church in their ups and downs for quite a long time and uh, this is uh, the, the last time we'll be with them for a bit at least anyway. Uh, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, I think we've got a, had a lot to learn from this church and from what Paul wrote to it. Anyway, so this is the last in the series then. Um, last time we were in chapter 15. We've been there for three or four weeks, as I recall it. Chapter 15, it's just full of those huge ideas about the resurrection of Jesus, about the future new life for those who love him about the end of time as God intervenes and wraps everything up. You know, that last trumpet that we heard about last week. Transformation happens. These are, these are massive kind of themes, aren't they, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, some people think that Paul partly wrote 1 Corinthians, 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 was the, the big thing he was aiming for. And in some ways it looks like that when you read the chapter. But now in chapter 16, Paul goes back to some of the things that the Corinthians wrote to him about. Remember, this this letter in some ways is an answer to some of the questions they'd written to him. And then he's going to sign off at the end in a personal way. So that's where we're going. Have you been to the Sea City Museum yet? Anyone been there? What do you think? It's good, isn't it? I thought it was really, really good. Now look, if you live in Southampton, you've got a free ticket. You've got no, no excuse not to go to that either. It, you know, it's great. Well, I thought it was great. We went there, we didn't have time to stay. There's fascinating interactive stuff in there. It's, uh, you might think it's about the Titanic, and you might be fed up with the Titanic. Uh, it's not really just about the Titanic. The Titanic features quite uh, in a big way in it. But actually, the whole thing is about how life was in this city in the past. And there's a lot that you see through films and through the way they, they, they show you things about how people lived. Sure, uh, it, that museum's got the Titanic at the heart of it, you know, not literally, but you know what I mean. It's even tried to make it look like some kind of ship from the outside. But um, it's, so it's about these big ideas, a big event, but it's all kind of wrapped up in what was going on in ordinary people's lives. And that's what's so interesting and fascinating, I think, and appealing about that particular museum. And this chapter, in chapter 16, is a bit like that. The letter to Corinthians is full of really big stuff. It's about their life in Jesus, isn't it? It's about what's in the DNA of authentic Christian community. It's about the cross, it's about the gospel, it's about the wisdom of God, it's about the future, it's about how we live our lives honouring Jesus as our Lord, it's about how the Holy Spirit works in us as individuals, giving us the wisdom of God and and, and in the community. All these, if you think back over however long it's been that we've been in this book, uh, with breaks obviously, uh, you know, there's some massive big themes that have come through them, great big exciting ideas. But these Corinthians, they were living this out. They were hearing this letter. It was in a, in, in a real world, just like ours. That's why I've put that picture up there. That is the main street of Corinth today. That's what's left of it. It all happened in a real place. They were real people. They had to get it sorted out into their own world. They were in a very real world, just like ours in some ways. And the New Testament, one of the things I love about the Bible, 
uh, is that it's not simply a book of ideas, of regulations, or even or ethics, or even just history. Yesterday, as I was preparing, I just went on an online Quran and, and cho- chose a, a few kind of bits at random and, and read it. And, and, you know, that's what you don't, at least, unless I, I well, there may be some, I haven't read the whole Quran, I only looked at bits of it. But, but you know, it's all, it's kind of uh, quite heavy, you know, this is what God says, this is what you must do, this is what the prophet is, and this is how women should be. I was reading a bit about women and about government and stuff. And it's all kind of all ideas and stuff, and, but, but the Bible, it's got big ideas, but it's all about people's lives. It's all worked out in, in real kind of historical events and, and lives. And, and I think that's really exciting. And we're going to see this really clearly in chapters, we see it really clearly in chapters like this one, 1 Corinthians 16. Because as Paul wraps up this letter with a few, you see the first two words there, now about. We've seen this and then he goes on in verse 12, now about. And we've seen that phrase. Uh, and whenever Paul says in 1 Corinthians, now about, it uh, uh, usually means that they've written to him about something he's saying, I'm just answering this question you asked me. We know they'd written a letter to him. He'd been in touch with them and so on and so forth. We've, we've had that past. But as he answers these questions, we get a really good glimpse into how this community works. That's the key thing. And then as he signs off, we get to see what matters most to him. So we've got two big areas to look at today. How the community works. And then finally, as he signs off, he wants to keep the community safe. They're the two big things. So let's have a look at it then, how the community works. Let's read verse 1 to 12. Now about the collection for God's people... Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to go I strongly urged him to go with you. Go, sorry, go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. We'll stop there. How the community works. You can see just really from a glance at this, that this is a giving community. It's a giving community. So I say, Paul is answering a question or a number of questions they'd asked him. And they'd been asking him about a a project that Paul had. We read of it in the New Testament in two or three different places. 
Uh, and Paul's great project was that the Gentile Christians that he knew, Christians from a non-Jewish background, from other parts of the Roman Empire, he was wanting to encourage those believers to, to give a gift of money for the Jerusalem church back in, in Palestine, which was going through famine and very hard times. So uh, it was his big project, and as I say, you can read more about it in Acts and in Romans, and especially in 2 Corinthians. There's a lot about it in 2 Corinthians. Enough to know that for now. It was more than just an idea of, you know, helping these guys out because they haven't got enough money, because they'd come upon, there'd been a famine or other things had happened. Actually, Jerusalem was quite a poor city. There was a regular thing going on whereby uh, Jews who were scattered across the Roman world, rather like people do from Asia and other parts of the world today, you know, migrant workers will send money back home. Well, Jewish people who were in other parts of the empire would send money back to Jerusalem because it was hard, it was hard living in Palestine at the time. But Paul is saying, I want this to be more than a gift of money. I want this to be an expression of our relationship, our oneship in Jesus, that Jews and Gentiles can be one, they're part of the same family, and a way of showing this is by sending a gift. That's what he's talking about. Won't go any more to that. It's a very exciting idea, but we haven't got time to go into it in detail. So how does the community give? Well, the giving community gives money first. What's this community like? How does it work? It's giving. So verse 2, it says, set aside money on the first day of the week, on a Sunday. It's one of the bits of evidence we have that the early church met on, on a Sunday or had some kind of gathering on the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead. He says, you set aside money each, each Sunday. Presumably the idea is that they keep it in the church somewhere. And then when he comes, when I visit you, he says, I'll be able to take this money uh, with me and some others if I go to the church in Jerusalem. He says this is going to be done very carefully, verse 3 and 4. He says, look, we're going to make sure that the people you send are are fully kind of, uh, you know, they're men that you trust, that they're going to have letters to make clear that they've got this much money. It's going to be done with probity. All Christian, the way we handle money as Christians should be absolutely clear that, that, you know, nobody can be nicking any stuff on the way. Paul's got that. That's what all this is about here. I'm going to make sure it's all safe. And then a bunch of them we're going to travel together. Who's going to give? Who gives in this giving community? Well, look what it says here. Each of you, it says, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. When? Every week, he says. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to come, you know, when I come and, and say, well, have you got any money for the Jerusalem church? And they say, oh, no, no, we better have a, better have a whip round. He said, I want you to, to know it's there. Now, in a way, this is quite interesting for us because we, in our culture, we love the idea of impulse giving, don't we? That's how, you know, all the, the big telethon things, you know, the, the, the live aid and all those kind of aid, comic relief and sports relief and all of these, work on the basis of, you know, give it now because you know, I need it now. Paul is saying, that's actually, there's a better way to give as Christians than just responding when the need is there. It's okay to do that, but he says, each of you should do it when? Every week? How much? He says, whatever is right for you. He says there, the NIV translates it in keeping with his income. Actually, it means whatever, you know, whatever you've got. You know, if you've got some spare, set a little bit of it aside. There's no, it doesn't have to be this much, that much, but just before God, make a decision and give some money. Paul says, though, that you need to think about it. It's a deliberate thing that you have to do, Paul says. Make a decision. 
and do it as you can. Now, Christian giving is like that. See, example, it's where we get the idea of giving from. So let's ask you a question. Do you give? If you're a believer in Jesus, do you give anything at all to God's work or to other people? Well, it's part of our commitment as believers. Each of you, it says. It doesn't say only those of you with a certain income. It says each of you, whatever you can. It doesn't say only those of you who, um, you know, are in work even. It's part of our commitment to Jesus is to give. He is Lord of our money. Our money is not ours, it's his. his. And it doesn't have to be much. Depends what we've got. Some of us may be able to afford to give a lot. Others of us could only give a tiny amount. Jesus, you know, saw that, that widow in the temple. She had no income. She was unemployed. She had no benefits. She was the poorest person in, in, in Jewish society. And she just gave a little bit of money and, and it was just a great blessing, Jesus said. So, let's think about that. The thing is, we need to think about it, we need to to decide to do it, and we're free to give whatever we can. So, do you give as a Christian believer? Do you start by saying, how much have I got, then I'll give, or do you say, it's the thing about the first day of the week, we don't know when they got paid in the ancient world, so, you know, we don't know. Some people say, well, that's maybe the first thing we do, we put a bit of money aside first. We don't wait to see whether we've got anything left over after we've, you know, had... 20 meals out and seen five films and bought 16 video games and then see if we've got any money left over or played, in my case, a few games of golf or, or whatever. You know, no, it's before all of that, what we've got. So, um, we're going to be sending an email out this week because actually the church, we need more income, not just for the building, but for the mission partners. I mentioned that at the forum. It's not just us asking for money, it's part of our Christian discipleship to be able to give. No minimum, no maximum, whatever the Lord is enabling us to do. Now let's have a look at a map before we go on. Here's a map. I don't know, oh, it's not, not very bright, is it? Can you see that? Uh, basically, I want you to see where Corinth is there. That's where Corinth is. Paul is writing this in Ephesus, as we read in the passage. He's talking about going to visit them and he's going to come through Macedonia. Uh, and then he's going to come down to Corinth, and then he'll go on his way, probably, to Jerusalem. That's his plans, okay? And he, we read in verse 5 to 9 what his plans are, and his plan is to visit them, as he says. He's going to come, and, uh, come back to see them. What's, what's he doing? Well, he's giving time. That's the key. It says there, doesn't it? Do you notice in those verses, he says, I want to spend some time with you, he says. I want to be with you. I don't want to just pop in. I want to spend time with you. Uh, I want to be able to have some good conversations with lots of you. I want to be able to you know, hear how you're doing. I want to share stuff with you. He's going to give him time. He's going to encourage them. And he says, I want you to give some time to me as well. I want to, when I go on to my next place, I want you to be able to send me on my way. And, and he's saying, we want this time together to be well spent. So this giving community gives time. It's in their DNA. So here's a question. Is that how we function as a community? Actually, time for some of us is more precious than money. Time is a very valuable commodity. 
Well, can we give some to one another? To encourage one another. Not just stick around, you know, on hurried formalities before we, we rush out of the door because it's too embarrassing to spend time talking with anyone. Or, or not, you know, kind of saying, well, I could never invite anyone to my home. Or I couldn't suggest we met up for a coffee somewhere. You know, I'd just be, you know, I'm just too embarrassed to do that. You know, time, giving time is what this community does. Paul says, I'm going to come to you, I'm going to give loads of time, it's going to be great. And he's saying, you're going to give some time to me, and it's going to be great. Well, it may be challenging, actually, uh, as it turned out. But you know what I mean? He's saying, time, give some. It's a precious commodity. And then he goes on in verses 10 to 12 to talk about um, Apollos and Timothy. And this is a community, this giving community nurtures teams. That's what's going on in verse 10. Timothy says, I'm going to send Timothy, he's going to visit you before I come. You may remember in chapter 4, verse 17 in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul said that I'm sending Timothy, he's going to come and he'll carry on telling you about these things. Timothy's going to be teaching them. Paul's saying, I can't come, but I'm sending Timothy on my behalf, he's part of the team. He's going to help them out. Now, Timothy is not Paul. (laughs) Timothy is a young guy. He might just be very young. May not have, you know, graduated yet in our kind of terms. Uh, Many years later, when Paul writes to him in in 1 Timothy, he's still a young man. Timothy's not exactly, um, what's the word, you know, the, the boldest of characters, why when Paul writes to him years later, he says, don't be timid, Timothy, you know, don't let anyone look down on you, don't let anyone despise you. In fact, here he says to the, to the Corinthians, look, Timothy's coming, but, you know, treat him with respect. Don't, you know, don't hassle him. So what's going on here? Well, Paul is giving Timothy this opportunity. He's a member of Paul's team. The Corinthians are to be giving in their attitude to Timothy. Giving way to others, giving up my rights to run everything my way or to have everything done how I want it. That's what teamwork is about. Real teams mean that, you know, some people say, oh, I believe in team, teamwork. And what they mean by that is, I'm the team leader and my team does what I say. <laughs> That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I trust Timothy. Timothy's coming. I want you to respect him. He said, this giving community nurtures teams. Giving is at the heart of teamwork that works. And the same spirit runs through these comments about Apollos. Look at verse 12. They'd obviously asked him about Apollos. And Paul says, look, um, uh, Apollos is in Ephesus with Paul at the time of this letter, obviously. And Paul, they'd asked about Apollos, and Paul said, yeah, well, I I asked Apollos, I encouraged Apollos to come to you, but he's not quite able to do it at the moment. Apollos obviously felt that it wasn't the right time, or for some other reason, so Paul is saying, yeah, I encouraged Apollos to come, he will come when he can, but, you know, he he feels it's not right to come yet. That's that's Paul giving way, and the Corinthians, so he's saying to the Corinthians, just bear with us, you know, we're a team. You know, be flexible, be sensible, be giving in that way. Interesting that Paul is willing to defer to Apollos here. Paul's not saying, I told Apollos to come, and he's, not, he's coming because I told him to. He said, well, I talked with him, and he feels it's not quite right at the moment, but he will come later. 
Paul, you know, earlier on in the letter, there'd been this thing, some people were following, saying, I follow Paul, some were saying, I follow Apollos. Remember that? You know, they were dividing around their kind of favourite leaders and so on. Paul is saying, look, there's nothing between us, me and Apollos. He's my dear brother, he says. We're in touch, and I defer to him, and we've talked. We're one in this. It's okay. Teamwork is nurtured in a giving community. Could we be this kind of giving community that nurtures teams, <coughs> willing to honour one another when perhaps it doesn't go quite as we would like or expect, letting go of our favourite expectations? We're going to need to be like this, aren't we, in the next few months, aren't we? <laughs> teams are going to be quite important. Opportunity to learn and grow in that. And one more thing before we move into the second half. This kind of community is giving and it's realistic and responsive. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, as you read through all of these verses, actually, throughout them, as far as the practical plans are concerned, there's uncertainty everywhere. If you just read it through, you can see it. So, for example, in verse 3, Paul, in our NIV and, and other translations, it says, then when I arrive, it's a very, you know, I'm going to arrive there. Actually, the, the, the word in the Greek says, whenever I arrive. It's not, you know, when I arrive. He's going to say, well, I don't quite know when it's going to be. Well, when I do arrive, da 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 da, da see? Uh, and the same thing is, is behind uh, in verse 6. Where in verse 6, he says, perhaps. He said, this is what I want to do. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while. They're realistic about their need to be flexible. But they're responsive to the Lord. Look at verse 7. If the Lord permits, you see. Verse 8, there's an open door for me. Verse 9, rather. An open door is there, but there are some who oppose me. That's what Paul's experiencing. So there's lots that they don't know about in their plans. And Paul allows Apollos to exercise his wisdom. So here's a community that organised things. We see that Paul is saying, yeah, I've got these plans and they're kind of organised. But they're open as well about there are some things that may just not quite go <laughs> according to my ideal plan. Realistic about things we can't control and responsive to what the Lord might be doing. Paul says, look, something's going on in Ephesus. God's working here. I don't want to leave it. He says, then he says there's opposition. By the way, if you want to connect it, read Acts 19, because um, actually the, the opposition grows into a huge riot, and Paul is, you know, has a real big problem at Ephesus. Uh, he's obviously writing this just before that happens. Can we be a community like that? A community that gives money, you know, again, have you given? A significant proportion of the church don't give regularly by standing order, for whom we could. A significant proportion of us haven't given anything to the building fund. Uh, we could, if you could. If you haven't, if you think you should, well, there's still a chance. There's a lot more building we need to be doing. Are we going to be a, giving, a community that gives money, that gives time, that nurtures teams, but is realistic and responsive. So Paul is saying to them, look, this is the kind of community, this is how your community works. Now let's read the second half because he's going on to talk about keeping the community safe. Verse 13. 
Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. That's the province where um, Corinth is. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So as Paul comes to the very end of his letter then, what does he start? Well, he starts with this call to action in verses 13 and 14. These are very blunt statements, as you notice, they come, come through. They're almost like orders to, to soldiers, a patrol about to go out, you know, they're like their final briefing. And he says, that, you know, very, very clear, very blunt, very uh, unusual, actually, for, for, you know, it's a sudden change of tone uh, in the way that <clears throat> he's been writing this chapter so far. But he's coming to the end, he wants to get some things really clear as he, he gets to the end. Well, let's look at what they are. First of all, he says, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be watchful. He says, like a soldier on duty at night. He says, stay awake. You know, Jesus told the disciples to watch and pray, and, and, and that's the same idea. It's being awake, but awake with a purpose, you know. It's not just staying awake for the sake of it, but, but you're awake to do a job. You're awake because you're focused. You're awake because you're like a soldier who, who's on, on, on patrol or on guard duty. They're, they're, they're the kind of statements about security. It's all in the language of security. Be on your guard, a continual state of mind. It's not just a one-off thing, it's a state of being, says Paul. Be on your guard. And then he says, stand firm in the faith. And that's the idea of holding your ground. Don't let go of the gospel that you believe, says Paul. He's been going on about this all through the letter, hasn't he? Don't let anything pass you that's going to take the, the, the ground of your faith away from you. And lots of what he's been talking about in Corinthians has been about that. He says, look, you need to be like soldiers on patrol. You've got to stand firm. Don't let go of the, the, the crucial stuff that he's been talking about in this, this letter, the gospel. Then he says, look, be men of courage, the NIV translates it. Literally, it says, be men. Now, we don't like to say that because it's a bit of a sexist comment, isn't it? You know, the idea that, you know, men are strong, be, be like a man. But it has the idea, it's kind of man up, he's saying to them. We still use that expression. What he means, he's saying, actually, grow up. <laughs> Be like adult men, or adult people, if you like. You know, you're men in an army. You're not boys on a Cub Scout badge patrol. Or, you know, you're guides or whatever you are. You know, or you're men, or because men and boys and girls can be Cubs and Scouts, can't they? So, so you know, you're, 
you're, you're meant to be full on. You're not meant to be kind of faffing about. That's what he's saying. Grow up. Pull yourself together. Be the people that God wants you to be. And Paul is telling the Corinthians and he's telling us that there's a war on. And that in the war, doing nothing is not an option. Now, you know that. We know that. Some of us better than others, depending on the kind of week you've had. Maybe the temptations that you've faced. There's a war on, and if you do nothing, if you just let it go, if you don't be alert, if you're not on your guard, if you're not standing in, your, in the faith, if you are more like Boy Scouts on a kind of camp out, you know, twisting stuff around a stick on a fire, then, then you know, you're, you're, you're not going to, it's, it's going to go badly. Because there's an enemy out there. So he's saying you can't just drift along as a church. You need to hold on to what you believe. You need to check out stuff that comes in. You need to make sure that you live consistent with the faith, with the cross, with the gospel, with the Lord. And that's what this whole letter has been about. Growing up. Taking responsibility, Paul says, for yourselves as believers and for your church. And that's his kind of last kind of... Uh, encouragement, exhortation to them. But it doesn't just stop there. And I love this bit because he says, but be careful how you do it. Verse 14, do it all in love. So if you're meant to be men, you've got to keep in touch with your feminine side. You know, you've got to, you know, it's not just about manning up and, you know, being like grunts in, in the Marines. But he says, do everything you do, do it in love. Verse 14. Do everything in love. That's, again, the great theme in this letter has been that. Love in the way we use spiritual gifts, as we saw. Loving the weaker brother or the weaker sister. Understanding their conscience may be different. Loving each other enough to set realistic boundaries and and not just turn a blind eye to sinful behaviour. Respecting one another. Loving each other enough not to divide up over your favourite celebrity leaders or your favourite pet doctrine or whatever it is. Loving Jesus more than anything else. The way you stand firm is important. Many people will stand firm, but they'll, they'll forget the love side. And I tell you, there's nothing worse than being encouraged by someone who's like a soldier on patrol, and they try and tell you to, to kind of man up and pull yourself together, but there's no love in it. <clears throat> That's terrible. Paul says, love, do it all in love. Love each other. And then he, as well, after that call to action, he says, look, here's some people you can follow. And verses 15 to 18, I'm going to go quite fast because time I must be getting on. I forgot what time I started, but anyway, it seems like it should be coming to an end. <laughs> Who are these people you can follow? He talks about Stephanus and his household. These were early Corinths. He says they're the first converts in Achaia in the province. He may mean, actually, that they were the first household, the first whole family, the first whole household group to come to Christ. He says, look, these people, are you be like them, is what he's saying. They love people. He said they got, in, they got stuck into serving people. They weren't afraid to give their time, their money, uh, everything else for God's purpose and God's people. No, he says, be like them. He says to the Corinthians, this isn't difficult, you've seen it. This family, Stephanus and and the other two he mentions, could be in the same household. Actually, sorry, it's a bit of trivia, but it's quite interesting. The the names Fortunatus and and the other one 
could mean that they were slaves who'd been freed. It was a kind of name that was sometimes given. So these guys could have been slaves in, in Stephanos' household, and then they've become free, and so they're kind of with him in it, and they're with him in ministry, and they've come to see Paul. And Paul's saying, you know those guys, you know what they're like. It's not difficult, be like them. That's what he's saying. They've devoted themselves to the Lord. They've devoted themselves to his people. And they, they refresh people. Be like that. It's not hard. You've seen it. These are the kind of leaders you should follow. They're not going to take you to court if they fall out with you. These are things we've seen in Corinth. They're not going to be puffed up and arrogant. They're not going to be flaunting their spiritual gifts over everyone else's. They're not going to dinners with prostitutes. No, be like them. Get back to what matters, he says. You've seen it in leaders like Stephanus and others like him. It's a beautiful picture of Stephanus and his friends, of of healthy leadership, isn't it? Be like them. It's not impossible. They've been doing it since the very beginning. He says, look, remember where you've come from. Corinthians, go back to the beginning. You know, like he said at the beginning, you've drifted away, but, you know, get back there. Remember what Jesus says to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2? Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You can get back, you know. It's not hopeless. It's possible. There's hope even for churches uh, like us, even for churches like the Corinthians. Any of us can get back. Paul says, thirdly, there's a wider church to be part of. I'm going to just whiz through that. All through that passage is why I put the map up. Remember that? It's international. They're connected with Jerusalem, Galatia, Macedonia's effort, Macedonia, Ephesus. All these places were miles away from the Corinthians. And when I say miles away, that equals days and days of travel. We can go anywhere. Where's the farthest place from here? New Zealand? Okay, how soon? It takes you, what, one day to get there? One day, right? So these places in equivalent travel were further away from the, from the Corinthians than New Zealand is. And Paul says, you're part of them. You're connected with them. You're part of this worldwide church. That's great, isn't it? Be, he says, be the family that you are. Connect with the wider church. All those believers over here in Ephesus, miles and miles away, further than New Zealand, where he's writing from, they send their greetings, they care about they, you, they love you, Priscilla and Aquila, they used to be in the Corinthian church, they've told everyone about you. That's really important. That's why we want to connect with other believers. Believers here in Southampton, in other churches, and believers across the world. It's a healthy thing to do for a giving church. Keeps the community safe, actually, as we connect with other believers here and across the world. World mission. It's fantastic. Don't miss it. Then finally, Paul takes up the pen. Uh, oops, that's, what have I done there? Have I gone? There should be another. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Paul takes up his pen and writes. No longer is he dictating to Sosthenes. He's got the pen, and all that we read now has been written in Paul's own hand, Okay. And he makes four statements. What does he end with? Four statements. And Jesus is at the heart of each of these statements. Look at what he says. I write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. This community, Paul says, is formed around the Lord. The Lord Jesus. It's made up of those who love Jesus. 
Loving Jesus, he says, is key. If you don't love Jesus, you can't be fully part of this community, says Paul to the Corinthians. could be a reference to people who were coming in. You remember in, earlier on he'd said some people were saying that Jesus is cursed and, and Paul says they, they shouldn't be part of you. Loving Jesus is key. Then he goes on to, with a prayer. Come, O Lord. That's a prayer in Aramaic. Paul writes in Aramaic, an Aramaic word to this Roman colony of believers. Why does he do that? Do you know, we say a few um, Greek, uh, uh, Hebrew words, don't we? Give us a Hebrew word, somebody. Shalom. Shalom, yeah, we don't use that much. One we use more often. Hosanna. Hosanna. Yeah, hallelujah. Amen is a, a Hebrew word. So why were believers in Greece, the Roman colony, able to recognize something that was said Maranatha, as it is in the original? It's an Aramaic phrase. It means, come Lord, or oh Lord, come. It's probably a prayer that they prayed. Just like we say amen or hallelujah, Maranatha. And it was probably a prayer that comes right back to the very early days of the Palestine church, because it's in their language. Paul says, praying to Jesus is key. Paul says, come, Jesus, come into our church and work. Come back into history and wind it up, as it were. Prayer. Are we going to grow in prayer? Are we going to grow in our love for Jesus? And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. As he began the letter, so he ends it. Grace means that we can know God through Jesus. We can have grace from God to be forgiven. We can have grace from God to be renewed. We can have God's grace in our lives to serve. God's grace to respond. Receiving grace from Jesus is key. And finally, he finishes with this personal declaration of love for this church who was so messed up. They were so confused. How can Paul put this love, you know, loving, he says, my love to all of you. How can he do that? It's in Christ Jesus. Jesus loves them. Paul loves Jesus. They were connected to Jesus. They were in Christ Jesus. And Paul is in Christ and the kind of connection is there. He really loves them. That's why they can change, because they're in Christ Jesus. That's why this letter's been written. Although in many ways, people would say, if you came across a church like the Corinthians, you'd say they were a basket case. Not to Paul, because he loves them, and he knows that in Christ they can change, they can be different. So can we. And so he ends with that phrase, in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's where we'll end. 1 Corinthians for now. Peace out.